The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Think Big, Work Small with Game Changers, presented by SAP, the best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo. In light of findings that 74% of all B2B and B2C buyers do their own research online before making a purchase, it's time for you to better understand how your customers make their purchasing decisions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you're in the right place because I always say it because it's always true. So there, the buzz today, okay, SME, small business people, I'm talking to you. It is not about you. Get over yourself. What is she talking about? Let me tell you. At the heart of your social selling success, come on, you know you've got to embrace, you've got to adopt, you've got to engage, you've got to be good at social selling. That's where it's all happening. At the heart of your success, and that's what you want, is your ability to engage with your current customers and your prospects whom you want to turn into customers. And you have to be where? Where they are, their preferred digital spaces. Think about all the places they might be. You need to be there. How can you do it? A couple of hints here before I introduce the panel. Number one, you're going to create a trusted personal brand based on your expertise. What do you know? What advice and information can you share with them before they even ask? Number two, you're going to add value up front by engaging with them with relevant content that benefits them. Tell them something they don't know or they need to know or they want to know before they think they need to know it. And number three, you're going to nurture relationships. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Ongoing relationships on the most popular networks because that's probably where they are. What does this mean to you? What's the payoff? Why should you invest in all of this? Well, you'll probably be able to jumpstart the sales cycle. Isn't that what it's all about? We're talking bottom line and who doesn't want that? We have a great panel today. Let me just tell you who they are before we hear from them. First up, we're welcoming a newcomer to Game Changers Radio. She is Sela Messirian. I'm going to spell her first name, S-E-L-A. And uh, interestingly enough, there's an actress who has the same first name and pronounces it Sela, but I've been told on good advice that it's really Sela. She's the VP of Marketing Strategy and Business Development at Brown Bag Marketing. Joining Sela on the panel will be a returning guest, Marco Argaez, A-R-G-A-E-Z. He's a global marketing director at SAP. And what would Think Big Work Small be without our sponsor, Lorraine Maurice at SAP? She's a modern marketer and she means it when she says that. So we have a great panel today. Let me get started introducing Sela Masirian. I'm first going to read the source of the quote. She sent me a wonderful quote. It makes sense. It's perfect for our topic. I'll let her explain it in a moment. The source is Danny Meyer, restaurateur. I had to correct my own spelling in my notes. He's not a restaurateur. It's a restaurateur. Nice French word. And his 
book is Setting the Table, The Transforming Power of Hospitality in Business. In case you haven't heard of Danny Meyer, he was born in 1958. He's a young one, and he is the chief executive officer of the Union Square Hospitality Group. That's USHG, if you want to look it up. Interesting, he got his first experience back in 1984 as an assistant manager at a restaurant called Pesca, which means fish, an Italian seafood restaurant in New York City's Flatiron District. In 1985, here it comes. He was only 27 years old. He opened his first restaurant, the Union Square Cafe, and he founded it and focused on customer satisfaction. Let me just rattle off some of his restaurants. Union Square Cafe, the Gramercy Tavern, Blue Smoke and Jazz Standard, Shake Shack, I know that, the Modern, Cafe 2 and Terrace 5 at MoMA, Museum of Modern Art, Mylalino, Untitled at the Whitney Museum, Union Square Events and Hospitality Quotient, to name a few. Here's the quote Sella has selected from Danny Meyer's book, and I quote, in the end, what's most meaningful is creating positive, uplifting outcomes for human experiences and human relationships. Business like life is all about how you make people feel. It's that simple and it's that hard. How profound is that? Sela Masirian, welcome. How are you? Thank you. Happy to be here. Happy to have you. I enjoyed doing my lookup on Danny Meyer. I know being a New Yorker, I should have been probably at least to at least three of his restaurants by now. So it's on my to-do, not my bucket list, Ella, but my to-do list. So tell me, how did you uh, pick this quote for today? I think it's perfect. So tell us more. Yeah, thanks. I, I just think he's spot on here, right? I, I've, I've been to several of his high-end restaurants. We've got a Shake Shack across the street from our our office. So, you know, he's a restaurateur, but he's an entrepreneur, he's a businessman, he's a marketer. And I just, I think he gets it when he references, you know, having that positive experience. And, and so I, what I really honed in on that quote was the, the talking about feelings. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that's so interesting, you know, I mean, is it okay if I talk about feelings on business radio, but I, I think ultimately that's what he's driving at. And I, it just got me thinking, gosh, you know, I get so many vendor emails or cold calls daily, I mean, upwards of six, seven, eight. I have no idea who these people are. They interrupt my life with a hard sell. They make me feel guilty for not giving them my time. If I don't respond, they email me, you know, back and forth and back and forth. So it, it doesn't leave me with a good feeling, right? I can imagine the mm-hmm. same with you guys. And it's actually, it tugs at something kind of deep inside, sort of something like near road rage. It's actually that bad. Um, because I think the thing is there's a chance that, you know, I maybe should have something from them. There's maybe something good there that I could buy, but I just don't want to engage with them in that way. Um, and so how do they reach me? And I think that's where social selling comes into play, which we're going to talk a lot about. And, and I think the biggest enablers of that is, is relationship and content. Thank you, Sella. Very good. And and I, when I read the quote you sent me from Danny Meyer, it struck me the part about how you make people feel. And I think that reminds a lot of us of the famous Maya Angelou quote, I've learned that people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. You think Danny Meyer was thinking of that? I think (laughs) he was. I really think he was. And as they say, great minds think alike. Thank you, Sella. Great quote, great opening to our topic. By the way, what's your favorite Danny Meyer restaurant? You mentioned Shake Shack. What others have you been to? Oh, Union Square Cafe, which is just a classic and it's just so good. You can't beat it. I got to get there. That's on my next to-do list when I go into New York. Thank you very much for the recommendation. We have a Shake Shack here in the Lake Success Shopping Center. I'm in Great Neck on the North Shore of Long Island, and uh, it's always so busy I can't even get a table there, so I'm going to make a point of getting a table at Shake Shack. We'll do that, too. That's an easy one. Thank you, Sela, and let's welcome our second speaker, Marco Argaez, a Global Marketing Director at SAP. And Marco has sent us also a very familiar quote from Albert Einstein. You all know he 
he was born in 1879, lived till 1955. I wonder what he would have said about this internet age we're living in with cell phones and all kinds of crazy devices that have no wires attached and we can talk to each other around the world just through thin air. Anyway, he was a German-born theoretical physicist who had really great hair. He developed the general theory of relativity, one of two pillars of modern physics alongside quantum mechanics. And he's best known in popular culture for his E equals MC squared, mass energy equivalence formula, they call it, and it's the world's most famous equation. He received the 1921 Nobel Prize in Physics for his services to theoretical physics. I didn't know that. Here's the quote Marco selected from the great lore of probably Dr. Einstein, I'm guessing. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Marco, welcome back. How are you? Very good. Thanks, Bunny. Thanks for and, joining yeah, us. I, 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 totally, I totally agree with you. I, I love the, <laughs> the Einstein care. It's very cool. Very cool. And, so and talk to funny. me. What's the, what's the insanity relationship in that quote to our, our topic today, talking about impressing, as Ella said, that, that feeling you give to customers and prospects via social selling? Talk to me, Marco. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, I thought I would use this question in today's conversation because I think that in general, whenever as individuals we're facing the need to adapt to something new, I mean, you name it, a new market trend, a new paradigm, new technologies, or even uh, change our behavior to remain competitive in a new business environment, it, it is very common to cross a period of assimilation, you know, a period of understanding in where we first start to observe loss of effectiveness in what we were doing on a regular basis, even if what we did was very successful in the past. And then we start to realize the need to change our behavior to make sure that in the new context, we, we will be able to achieve what we need with the same or even bigger success than before, right? So as you realize, what I'm saying applies perfectly to basically anything in life. And in the particular case of today's conversation, fairly mm -hmm. represents the role that the sellers play in the new digital environment where there is a need to interact with the, the buyer in a different way. And therefore, the seller uh, should or must, if I can say it, change its customer relationship management in order to adapt better to a new customer who prefers to be contacted for different reasons than before and actually, uh, this customer wants to be contacted in a different timing on the process as well. So that's why the quotation rang my bell, because if we want to have a different results, we definitely need to do different things, as it can be liberating the power of social media to communicate better with the new buyers that exist in today's uh, business context. So I think the, the quotation uh, totally spoiled on, on this, right? Marco, you are so absolutely spot-on correct, and I think later on in the conversation we'll bring up something that comes up very often in our another series we have sponsored by Kirsten Boyleau at SAP. The series is called Social Selling with Game Changers. I'm, I'm sure Lorraine knows Kirsten, and we often talk about what about picking up the phone and making that cold call. Is cold calling dead? When you're talking about insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, there has to be, I imagine, some kind of segmentation of the 
customer profile, although I read recently that customer personas are a dangerous thing to use when not used properly. So we might talk about that later. Marco, just quickly, what do you think about, about salespeople just picking up the phone saying, hey, Bob, this is Marco Aguez. i got to sell you something wonderful today. Is that going to backfire in 1,000% of, of the prospects, Marco? Or, or are there some people who might say, hey, Marco, you sound like an interesting guy. I'll listen to you. How often is that going to happen today, Marco? <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I hope that more often every day, but uh, but it's not necessarily <laughs> happening as of today, right? Every everyone still uh, pick up the phone and, and try to sell and, and deliver a sales pitch immediately, and that's precisely what we're trying to, to change as part of the new new way of, of doing business, right? There's the insanity. Thank you very much, Marco. And let's bring on Lorraine. Maurice waiting so patiently. And Lorraine has picked a quote from Billy Joel. Oh, be still my heart. He's here on Long Island. At least that's where he started out. Uh, born in May 1949. So he's along with me on the almost leading edge of the baby boomer generation. American pianist, singer, songwriter, and composer. Since releasing his first hit song, Piano Man, back in 1973, Billy Joel has become, Lorraine, I don't know if you know, if you know this, the sixth best-selling recording artist and the third best-selling solo artist in the United States. Wow. He was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame in 92, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 99, and hey, shout out for Long Island, the Long Island Music Hall of Fame in 2006. It takes us a while to catch up. Uh, with the exception of 2007 songs, All My Life and Christmas in Fallujah, he stopped writing and releasing pop and rock material after his 1993 River of Dreams. However, he continues to tour and perform. Here is the fabulous quote Lorraine has picked from the fabulous Billy Joel. Quote, the good old days weren't always good, and tomorrow ain't as bad as it seems. Lorraine, how have you been? <laughs> I have been great, and I will tell you that I think I'm one of the reasons that he's, like, sold so many albums <laughs> and that he's in the hall. How many do you have? Come on, how I many vinyls do you have? Vinyl? I have, I have all the vinyls, but now I have all the CDs. I've got it downloaded on my iPod. And I see him as often as I can. I think last year was my record. I saw him four times last year, one being on his 65th birthday at the Garden. Oh, that was two years ago. Yeah, so big fan. Well, I, I would certainly think so. And I have to tell you, there's a very popular cover band. I'm sure that's against your uh, your music religion, but it's called Michael Del Judas, D-E-L-G-U-I-D-C, and Big Shot, the ultimate Billy Joel experience. And he comes here to our local concert venue on the waterfront in Great Neck, and he performs at, uh, almost once every summer. He's so popular, but wouldn't it be nice if the real Billy Joel just showed up once, Lorraine? Be still your heart, right? Be still my heart. Be still your heart. So tell me about this quote. The good old days weren't always good, and tomorrow ain't as bad as it seems. What are we talking about? So I, really what I'm talking about is the fact that some of us that are a little bit older than the millennials really have some difficulties in moving along in technology and being an adapter. I mean, I'm not expecting everybody to be an early adapter, but at some point they got to get on the bandwagon and start looking at social, social selling, digital as an a important part of their business strategy and more than at their business strategy and their selling strategy. So the good old days, they weren't bad, but the future isn't bad either. And it's really time for everybody, no matter where you are in your business, to have a strategy in place and understand that in order to be successful, 
you're going to have to have a social strategy, be part of the social um, community, and just adapt to it. It's no longer an option for business. It's an essential. Thank you, Lorraine. Um, What do you think? Let's go back to uh, something that... That Sella said, her quote from Danny Meyer about feeling and my adjunct quote from Maya Angelou. Do you think Billy Joel would say something if we had him here on the show? And I know, be still your heart, Lorraine, if he knew we were talking about feelings in business in the same concept. Because in order to sell as many records as he has, he's obviously in the business of impacting people's feelings. Wouldn't you say that's where music goes? Absolutely. It goes, music is so intimate, but so is selling. And so what I, what I would think, I'm not sure what Billy would say, but <laughs> what I would say and why I even chose the quote about, you know, being, uh, you know, the past and the future is that our world is authentic. And I remember a mentor I had when I was right out of college. He's like, Lorraine, you don't talk about this. You don't talk about that. You don't do this. I mean, the rules of no's were, you know, on and on and on. But in mm. today's environment where you need to create trust, and create a relationship that's really online and really virtual, it's important to be authentic and to share feelings. And so people can get to know you, and then you can become a trusted advisor. So it becomes, again, it's a critical business tactic. Certainly is, and we can't, you know, it used to be you couldn't talk about touchy-feely stuff in terms of feelings and sentiment and even a lot of other related words in business, but this conversation has certainly expanded, and I'm glad we're talking about it today because, Lorraine, when you sent me the opening, the abstract for this topic, you talked about at the heart of your SME social selling success, and I think that was intended, maybe unintentionally, as a double entendre because I think you're saying have a heart in your social selling as well as at the heart. Can we stretch that, Lorraine? Is that okay? I, I think you can. Um, it, it, again, it goes back to if, if trust is the key, whether it is a face-to-face relationship, an online relationship, a personal relationship, one of the key foundations is trust. And when you give somebody trust, you give them your heart. And it becomes, again, a, a, an intimate relationship. So I, I, I like the fact that you pulled that double entendre, and I think it's very appropriate. Thank you very much. You're very permissive with my with my poetic <laughs> license. Let's circle back to Sela Missouri. Sela, I told you we had fun on the show. Sela, I'd love for you to tell us where you're calling from right now and what you're drinking at this moment, or this is what's in your cup segment, or what are you planning to drink later that will make you feel very, very happy? Oh, well, I'm calling you from the heart of Atlanta, which I think people would probably say is controversial, but for, for me, it's Buckhead, because that's where I spend the majority of my time, so... Uh, our offices are based there, and um, I am pretty boring when it comes to day drinking. I'm much better when it comes to evening drinking, <laughs> but my day drinking is uh, typically green tea with manuka honey. It's a good, uh, oh. even teeny about a bit of caffeine, not too much, um, healthy for you, and a little bit of sweet. So, so now we want to know what are you going to be drinking in the evening because we care. Uh, Go ahead. <laughs> I'm sort of a wine nerd. I'm you know, just always learning more about it. I grew up in a in the Finger Lakes wine region in upstate New York, so I was exposed mm-hmm. there and lived in Europe, and so I just was, have been around it a lot. So, um, yeah, for me, I mean, typically a medium-bodied red. I really like the Tuscan reds. Maybe something like a Dolcetto would be good for tonight. Sounds very good, and we'll have to look that one up later, and let's talk to Marco Arguez. Marco, you are somewhere in Spain. Why don't you tell us where you are, what time it is, and what's in your cup, or what are you going to be drinking after the show? 
Sure. Well, it's 20 past 8 in the night, so it's not that late because it's sunny. And uh, believe me, I, I would love to have a better answer today, but uh, since I've been a little bit ill these days, and to be honest, mm. I believe that I will go for just top water today, <laughs> which is a pity because with the weather we have now here in Barcelona, I would rather prefer something a little bit uh, less boring or even a beer, but <laughs> water is my healthy destiny at least of, of today. Right? We want you to be healthy. So if you were feeling better, what, what drink would you be? Come on, let's dream a little bit here, Marco. What, what, what beer or what wine would you be, or what cocktail? Tell me. Well, uh, if I could go for wine, it would be red, and it would be at Rivera del Duero, which is a great zone in the south of Spain, which is great for, for, for red wine. So definitely that would be my, my best option of today, but stick in the water. <laughs> We will, we will, we honor the water and we'll be thinking of the red wine for when you're feeling better. Thank you. And Lorraine, where are you finding yourself today and what are you drinking or what are you thinking about? Well, I'm finding myself in Atlanta, Georgia, but I'm very excited because I'm going to be in Marco's area of the world in, uh, next week. So thrilled oh. for that. But in keeping with my Billy Joel theme, I thought I would keep a New York state of mind. Anybody who's a fan knows that's uh-huh. one of his songs. Uh, oh, yeah. Anyway, I am drinking what they call a New York egg cream. I'm treating myself. And what that is is you put a little bit of chocolate syrup, a little bit of milk, and some seltzer water, and you stir it up, and it's delicious. I'm not sure why egg is part of the the name of the drink, but I grew up on them when I lived in New York. And, again, uh, keeping in the the New York state of mind, I, I thought I'd treat myself to one of those today. Well, Lorraine, you're in good company. My mom is going to be 122 weeks from now on February 1st, if I have my math right. Still loves to order egg creams when we go to the diner for lunch. So it's part of my family, and I'll read here from Wikipedia. An egg cream is a beverage consisting of milk, carbonated water, and chocolate syrup. It does not contain eggs or cream. It is almost exclusively a fountain drink, although there have been several attempts to bottle it. None have been solely successful, wholly successful, as its fresh taste and characteristic head, that's the foamy part on the top, require mixing the ingredients just before drinking. Most writing on the egg cream assumes it originated in New York, and most often that it originated among Eastern European Jewish immigrants. This led to a variety of claims meant to explain the widely noted paradox that the New York City egg cream is made with neither eggs nor cream. So we'll just leave uh-huh. it at that. And it goes way back in time. Uh, there's a book called uh, Fix the Pumps by Darcy S. O'Neill, a historical look at soda fountains, claims the New York egg cream is a variation of the milkshake served at soda fountains throughout America in the late 19th century. I'll let you go look that one up. So thank you, Lorraine. Good memories. I uh, just, uh, Mom didn't order it yesterday. We had coffee but a couple days ago she had an egg cream so I'll tell her you were talking about her favorite drink. I'm going to give my panelists a chance to take a break, a pause that refreshes you're listening to Think Big Work Small with Game Changers. Our focus is SME, small to mid-sized enterprises or just plain small business and we're talking today about a topic that should be near and dear to you putting your mark on the digital economy and we can subtitle that how in the heck do you make the change stop doing the same thing over and over again and embrace the social economy social selling, put yourself out there, offer value that's relevant to your customers and prospects that will create a long and good, trustable and trustworthy ongoing relationship. I hope I hit all the keywords. We're talking today with Selim Assyrian from Brown Bag Marketing, Marco Arguez and Lorraine Maurice from SAP. I'm Bonnie DeGram and I plan to be me after the break. So don't even think of putting that mouse 
mouse, touching that mouse, that dial, whatever you're using to listen to us. We'll be right back. Michael out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Studies have shown that buyers in today's digital economy are spending more time online than ever before, discovering and researching products and services. As a result, it is critical for businesses like yours to learn how to locate and engage with prospects and customers in this digital space. Think Big, Work Small with Game Changers explores the impact of changing digital economy on small to medium-sized businesses. We'll define the challenges SMEs face to proactively connect with buyers on their digital journey and share proven strategies to put into action to be successful. Tune in to hear the experiences and insights of top sales and marketing thought leaders and practitioners as they discuss how the digital economy is reshaping the SME business world. Think Big, Work Small, presented by SAP, every Thursday on the Business Channel. You're listening to Think Big, Work Small with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Think Big, Work Small with Game Changers. Here we are. We're back talking about Think Big, Work Small. We're talking about small business and having success with selling and prospecting and using social selling to your best advantage. We're speaking today with Sela Masirian, Marco Arguez, and Lorraine Maurice. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. And we're going to kick off our roundtable in earnest, as I like to say sometimes. Sela, I'm looking at the notes you sent me before the show. And let me read three sentences here, and I'll have you tie them all together because I think they belong together. Sela says, we all know the new norm is online. That's statement number one. Number two, the new normal requires storytelling. And number three, if social selling, which is online, is so smart, why do we think more businesses are not doing it? Sella, why don't you wrap this up and put it in a box and let's see what it all makes when it comes out. Yeah, sure. Um, thanks, Bonnie. So I, I think it's something that we we talk a lot about, right? There's lots of good stuff to do, but why aren't more people doing it? Or why um, are they doing it poorly? Or um, why are they scared of it? And it's it's interesting because I think if you're um, all of our, the panelists here are in this line of business, and so we've got some kind of real field experience, and it's it's interesting looking now at year over year and trying to see what those roadblocks are to social selling. Um, so I wanted to just start with what I think is a really great definition of social selling from HubSpot um, because it's a good place to start um, just to make sure we're all on the same page. And it's really when salespeople use social media to interact directly with their prospects. Um, mm-hmm. And then from there, you're basically providing some sort of value by answering prospect questions, offering thoughtful content, and you do this until the prospect is ready to buy. So, so that's sort of the, the context. And so, again, I mean, if this is so good and so smart, why aren't more people doing it? Um, and I think there's some very real things that hold uh, us back from doing it. And I think that it's, it's because it can't just be one individual salesperson. Um, one of the things that I've seen with many of my clients and just being in the, on the consulting side is that social selling is actually a very enterprise effort, right? And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've had 
very real experiences where managers or um, sales folks, people in the field are super excited, very enthusiastic, kick off a big program, but they don't have any executive sponsorship. And so it's almost like a fake program within the company. Um, it's not real, right? And so because it doesn't have executive sponsorship, because they don't um, care to put an ROI behind it, it just sort of dies. Um, so we, we've actually had experiences where we've built out programs and, you know, your program owner leaves the company and then nobody picks it up because, you know, it's, it's not an important um, – it doesn't make an executive agenda item. Um, so I think that's an obstacle. I think – not having a story is an obstacle. I know we'll talk about that um, across all panelists. You know, if you don't have something to say, then wh- how are you going to be social, right? I and mean, you can't just go to a party and be silent. Um, so I think there's a real lack of um, putting together a thoughtful story, one that's unique, especially for small businesses where, you know, you, you have so many more unique differentiators. Um, you have so many more proof points. You know, how do you put together a story? You might not have that. Um, I think skills training, so people just don't know how to use social, and I think that that's the, the saddest maybe roadblock because I think the how is the easiest to overcome. Um, lack of coordination, you know, is it just a lone ranger salesperson or are they actually able to work well with customer service, with communications? Because, again, in the social world, remember it's not about you, it's about your buyer, and your buyer is being touched mm-hmm. by multiple you know, folks throughout the enterprise. So I think that all these are addressable, but I think it's smart to look at that broader effort around, okay, I'm glad we're all sold on this idea of social selling, but let's have a very realistic approach and make sure we address these roadblocks so that we can move forward with with success. Thank you, Sal. Very interesting. Before I bring Marco and Lorraine into this conversation, I love the way you started this this part of the roundtable. Uh, my question is when you say you need management or top-level sponsorship, how do you get that? Is that a written contract? Is it you go, you knock on the C-suite when they're having a, a meeting of the minds and you say, hi, it's time for us to do social selling. Will you all raise your hands if you think it's a good idea? Oh, great. Five of the seven did. We can go do it now. How do you get, I'm being a little facetious, how do you get that sponsorship? Yeah, well, I think you're getting at the heart of the, the relationship side of all of this, and I think it's two things. One, I think that you have to, the executive has to look good, ultimately. So if this is something that bolsters their ability to um, develop their professional and personal brand, if it's there, um, if thought leadership is, is on the line, if it, if it makes them look good in any way, I think that's a pretty good way to appeal to them from a sponsorship standpoint. Mm. The other thing is if they're actually a user, I often find that um, maybe they're of an age group where now their kids are sort of pulling them into social and they've just dabbled around with, you know, maybe having a family travel blog or they, they just thought it'd be fun to set up a Twitter handle and they were at a conference and something happened where they actually were using social and the light bulb went off. I think those are probably two of the biggest motivators for an executive to really rally around these programs. Thank you very much for your thoughtful answer. Marco Arguez, what do you observe on the topic that Sela has started for us? What do you see? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with Dilla. And I mean, the management sponsorship is, is, is key totally to make mm-hmm. sure that the adoption in the companies in terms of social selling is, is, is real and happening. However, what I believe is that uh, there is a generational barrier that we have to cross. And that definitely touch as well, not only the salespeople, the sales reps, but also the manager, right? So if the manager uh, understands that we need to change that in my point of view, is not enough because definitely there is a, a big gap uh, between the fact that a manager realized that we need to do something differently because clearly we're not getting the same results as before doing what we are doing. So uh, 
probably the manager will start to adopt social selling as the next practice to, to apply in the sales motion. However, the next step and the gap exists in, in the fact that not so much people understand and know how to make it happen, right? So definitely there is a big opportunity for managers to make sure that they not only understand and embrace social selling as a new way to contact buyers, to contact customers, to generate advocates, but actually they have to relearn how to make it, you know, because the, the sales managers, they were sellers as well. They understand how to create relationships in real life. They know how, they understand as well how to execute a marketing campaign in, in the old-fashioned way, but probably uh, they, they have to create a Twitter account, <laughs> they have to create a LinkedIn mm-hmm. account, they have to create a, a YouTube account, and they have to go there and understand how, how it works. Because if they don't do that, what is going to happen is that everybody is going to speak in the organization about social selling, but honestly, nobody is going to make it happen, and nobody is going to really get results out of it. So uh, I totally agree with, with Sila's statement. I, I definitely believe that management and sponsorship, but also hands-on on the execution, it's key to make social selling happening in every organization, independently if they are small, medium, or actually a big enterprise as well. Thank you, Marco. Also a very thoughtful response. Lorraine, what do you think? A lot of interesting thoughts here on the table. Join us. What? So many interesting thoughts. So I, I would agree. So I have a you know, funny story. Uh, at the last company I worked for, um, one of the things we did is we started with the management team and got them to update their LinkedIn profiles and, and share with them why it was so key part of the selling process uh, to be have their personal branding corrected, and then we took it down because if leadership, as Sela said, is not engaged and doesn't understand the importance, uh, it, it may not happen. You may have one or two, uh, you know, millennials or progressive salespeople that take it on their own, but you truly need it to be part of your business strategy. But with that comes something Marco said, and that's time. And when you're a small business or an entrepreneur or growing business, um, you don't have the resources available to you of a corporation, uh, a large corporation. And so, therefore, you know, it always falls to the bottom of the list. I mean, I know myself, I have four blogs I've been trying to write forever, but it always falls to the, the, the least priority. But what people are going to, the business people are going to have to recognize, especially small business people, is that social selling um, content branding needs to be moved up in the priority list as a, a daily business activity and one that they allow and also sponsor for their sales and marketing teams. It's the way we do business today and it needs to be um, a way to evolve if you want to be part of this new economy, the new digital economy. And one thing that you know I'd even suggest is what I call the the breakfast, lunch, and dinner approach. You know, look at social, especially if you're not started and you're having trouble finding the time, do something at breakfast. You know, do something at lunch and do something at dinner. So the beginning of your day, the middle of the day, your end of the day, make it a priority and start seeing the results. Once you see the results and you start seeing the, the leads and the progression that you're making, it'll change your whole attitude and you won't have to structure it, um, you know, in, in such... Tight time frames. 
Lorraine, I love the analogy, and I'll take it one step further. Remember, we used to say, at least I think you might remember this one. I'm sure Marco and Seller are too young. Uh, they'd say, "How do you, how do you, um, how do you tackle a big project or eat an elephant one mm-hmm. bite at a time?" And that goes with your meal plan approach. I like that very much. Seller Masirian, love to have you chime in on the topic you started for us. Thoughts on what Marco and Lorraine shared? Yeah, I, I'm in total agreement. I think that um, the nice thing about this area is that there's there's flexibility. I think each brand, each business comes to this social selling table with different um, with different assets, right? And and also different humans that are working there. So they're they're obviously going to have um, different roadblocks. Um, I think probably the most fundamental piece is I, I want to hone in on that story piece. Um, mm-hmm. Again, going back to the fact that you know social selling is, is dependent on having something to say. Um, and I think there are brands that um, do a good job at this, and I think there are other brands that are just really snoozing. They just don't have their story together. And I just fundamentally believe that brands are missing that emotional connection with their audience that comes from creating a very compelling narrative. And it's, it's one that can be developed thoughtfully, that can be documented so that your entire sales force can use, that, that brings more consistency to the, to the brand. So I, I think that's one piece that I think is really important that's sort of fundamental to all of this, um, I think starting crafting your story begins with kind of knowing who you are and why anybody should care. I mean, why should I respond to your comment? You know, why should I download that piece of content? So I think there has to be something there that's genuine. And I love that that word was used a lot earlier on. Um, and then I think implementing your story is all about getting in front of the right people, being genuine, being useful, being important. And so I think these are the things that you do to kind of help spark the sales conversation. And then once you've done that, I think it's, it's not hard to close, right? You've, you've laid a really good foundation for it. So, Thank you, Sela. Yep, go ahead, Lorraine. I just want to add on to that. So I think Sela is, is right. So um, there's this saying that I'm sure everybody has heard in that it's, it's content is king. But content mm-hmm. comes from having a story, right, having a message, having a brand. And so if, if that content is king, then it needs, to, it, it needs to be the priority because that's what you – I think Stella said something about going to a party. You have to have something to talk about. You're going to business and you want people to buy from you. You have to have something to talk about. But so if content is king, and I just read this somewhere, it's not mine, but if content is king, then the conversation, the story is queen, and you need to have a, a good, strong team to make it happen. Thank you both. I want to add one more yep. thing. Sure, go yeah, ahead, Sal. one more thing to that. I, I think because in the context of small business as well, um, to me, a brand story really starts with unique strengths because that's a place where you can defend, where you can differentiate. It's something you can own. And I think small businesses have a real leg up here, right? I think I'm not saying they have to tell their kind of tear-jerky mom-pa story about how they you know, started with, with no money. I, I think it's more about... Um, honing in on something that they feel they're doing much better than their competition. Um, and I think when you start there, and that's a core part of your brand story, it's just much more interesting. And I think it's also, it, it can then be a platform for your sales force to build off on and for them to add their own flavors too. So I, I, I think that story core is really very, very key to social selling. Thank you both. And I'm, I'm looking now, I want to go in a slightly different direction here. Marco, I'm looking at your notes and I'm going to put a couple things together if you don't mind and ask you to expand them. Let's talk about the change that needs to happen. We've already spoken about that. If you're from the old school of sales question, I asked you, Marco, and everybody is, you still pick up the phone cold calling. Well, let's, let's spin that a little bit. Marco told me in his notes, B2B buyers are calling for a change in how you socially sell to them. They don't want to waste time with sales materials 
brochures, networking calls, or demos. Okay, let's leave that on the table for a second. Then Marco defines what social selling is not. It's not sending generic emails to a database. It's not pushing a hard sell on LinkedIn. It's not closing deals on Twitter. I'm going to stop there. Marco, I'd love to have you expand this in your own other other own words and tell us, let's talk about what it's not because now we're, we're already talking about the trust and the authenticity and the building the story and crafting your message and making it beneficial for the audience. Let's talk about what not to do. So, Marco, you're up. Thanks, Ronnie. Well, yes, I, I believe that digital, it's a very big word, right? And, and these words have very different meanings. And the people uh, interpret that in, in different ways as well. So uh, there's a lot of confusion. I mean, uh, one of the activities that I do very often in, in SAP is deliver social selling training to salespeople. And very often I see that people misinterpret on, 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 what social selling is as a technique and as a, as a practice. So they tend to, to call social selling to everything that, that sounds social and that sounds digital and it's very complicated for them to separate what to do to make it successfully, right? So, uh, for example, if they're executing a, a, a marketing campaign uh, using social media networks, they call it social selling, right? Or, or if they are, uh, for example, executing a, a, an advert in, in LinkedIn and are, are, they are doing just a, a brand positioning a campaign, they also call it social selling. So what I always tell them when they are confused on that is that Social selling is about to create relationships in the, exactly the same way that we used to do it in real, but the only difference is that we're using different channels, in this case, social media channels, right? So uh, that's very important because in that way, the people understand and realize what is the kind of activities and work they have to do and what is the best way to relate to others by using social media networks. It, it, it's very common, and that's why I always like to separate what it's not and what it shouldn't be, social selling, it's very common to, to, uh, for people to try to use, for example, LinkedIn database to send exactly the same emails that they used to send in the, in, in the marketing campaign, but only using LinkedIn as the, as, as the way to do that. So they send generic emails, non-personalized, uh, they are not aiming, or the, the main goal they have is not necessarily create and grow and nurture a new personal relationship with that person, but instead they are more worried about to get the email of somebody and deliver a sales pitch by using that email. So it, for me, that, that, that's key and it, it's very important because as much as the people understand and realize that social selling basically is just using different channels to create, to grow, and to develop relationships, business relationships with people that want or that desire or that has a need that you can cover, in, in, in that way, uh, it's the only in where people are going to really take advantage of it and that they are going to profit out of it something, right? I definitely believe that social selling is a, it's a great way for small and medium businesses, for example, to execute a successful sales, sales uh, strategy without investing tons of money which, and resources, which is basically what usually the small and medium businesses don't have. And it's a great way to make sure that all the people, all the salespeople is creating pipeline, is making new relationships, and is creating business by using uh, social media networks and by using very simple techniques that they can use uh, in the social environment. At the end, the customer, and it, it ends up in the customer, the customer is what, what, what they want. 
they don't want to be sold to. They just want to understand what they need in the moment they want and in the way they want by using the channels they like. For example, Twitter, for example, YouTube, for example, Facebook, and it depends on, on the product and the service which sells it. Thank you, Marco. Great. And I, I, would, I felt it was very important. I'm glad you sent me that, your notes, for, for our listeners to understand that it's, it's a bigger picture of making that change. As you say, B2B buyers want to change. They're calling for, probably begging for a change in how you sell to them socially. So it's important to know what's not part of that change, what you can't sneak in, sneak into the new paradigm of selling. Lorraine, I know you have something to say about what Marco just shared. Want to talk to us? I do, I do. There, there's an old book, an old business book called um, Swim with the Sharks, and uh, then went on to a guy named Harvey McKay, and he went on to write a whole bunch of other books, but early in my career when I read that book, it said, here's the hundred things you should know about every client you had. Who are their kids? When are their birthdays? Uh, what do they like to eat? And what Marco just said is translating that from the past to the future, you know, being where your customers are and doing business the way the customer wants to do business with you um, is a priority. And it's not having a list to go sit in front of them anymore with saying, oh, you know, Jane and John look fabulous today. It's being, uh, you know, online and talking with them about, you know, the solving the problem that they have and being engaged in what they're doing online, what they're looking at, um, what kind of questions they're asking, what kind of research they're doing. It's providing a value. And so part of the relationship that Marco was describing continues to be some of the basic foundations. It's get to know your customer, i.e. they're now buying online, they're being social, you need to create your relationship socially. And then part of uh, part B of that, you know, with that laundry list is what Stella said. It's know your story, how that your story relates to what your customer is really looking for. And that's how you get married. And it's really about that relationship and understanding each other and bringing and as the, the, the business, bringing a value to the table that resonates um, with your customer and resonates where they want it to online. Thank you, Lorraine, and thanks for the reference to the book. The full title is Swim with the Sharks Without Being Eaten Alive. Outsell, outmanage, outmotivate, and outnegotiate your competition. Collins Business, Collins Business Essentials Paperback, January 18, 2005. Harvey B. McKay, M-A-C-K-A-Y. Straight from the Hip Handbook by best-selling author and self-made millionaire Harvey McKay. There you go. Thanks, Lorraine. Good reference. Sel, I want you to chime in on this just for one minute because I want to be able to have a little time left. We're almost at the end of the show to hit one of Lorraine's uh, talking points. So, Sella, what do you think about the don't-do list from Marco? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I would agree. Obviously, we can't define social selling as really broadcasting a generic sales pitch out to the masses, right? Um, so, I, I think lots of agreement there. I might actually then just um, add on a few points around how we do it from a very practical standpoint. I, I think there's lots of ways of using content socially. Um, there's so many different networks and forums and social channels. I, I'm thinking of, you know, all the faithful bloggers out there, whether you own a blog or you're a guest contributor, there's lots of ways that you can start to publish and put your word out. Um, I think LinkedIn is a fantastic channel. What I really like are people that spend some time um, on the groups and the, and the different um, 
discussions just listening and asking questions. And when you do that, you build a lot of trust that then allows you to share. So again, not coming in hot, but actually just spending some time and, and listening and trying to get to know who's at the party. Um, I think there's a lot you can do within the broader context of hashtags and really picking up broader audiences mm-hmm. and inviting them to the conversation. Um, I think Quora is a great question and answer um, social site. I think Reddit's fantastic, lots of different forms where you can comment. I think live streaming is fantastic. You know, up until recently you couldn't save a lot of that content beyond the 24 hours, but now you can. And so you can start to see there's lots of actual ways of, of doing this. Um, you know, we, we can tend to talk about kind of the main primary social channels, but when you start digging in, it's not that hard. And it actually, when you spend time with it, it'll become natural. So just want to encourage people to start and try and do this. If you've got a good story, there's lots of different ways of telling it. Because, again, I think the job as the social seller is to build relationships by offering expertise, not information about your company's products and services. That is such a per- – thank you, Sel. That's a perfect segue to the note I wanted to pull up from Lorraine's uh, talking point she sent me. Lorraine, you talk about the 80-20 rule. 80% of your post should be what your audience wants to learn, to enjoy, to absorb, something to make their day better. 20% should be about what you do, how your business can help them, how you can solve problems they may have, how you can educate them. Lorraine, how would you come up with this 80-20? Oh, gosh, I pulled it from some research, Bonnie, but I forgot to document where I did, so I'll have to get that to you. But, That's you know, fine. There's, That's, there's, we'll, we'll just say it's a Lorraine Mauriceism for right now. I'm just, I'm just allowing you to take it. I have to tell you, I do everything with the 80-20 rule because statistically that seems to be what happens in business. And it, it's so funny as I listen to this whole, not funny, but it's perfect because it's really specific if, at the end of the day what we're talking about and that's really about a conversation that provides value, and that's your story. So I'll, I'll use this to both what my, my colleagues have said, is that it's really important to understand your so- story and what you provide and what value you provide, right? That may be the 20%, but you can't do the 80% of talking with your customer, your audience, without knowing who you are. And so really... People are about what's in it for me, and that's what that 80% is all about, what's in it for me. And that's, uh, you know, when you're Googling or you're looking at LinkedIn or you're looking through Twitter and groups, it really is what nugget of value can I take away to make me more successful? And so that's what the people are looking for, and that's what I mean about it is making sure that you're providing. I keep going to that, back to that word. It's all about the value you provide to your audience, to your customer. And in order to provide that value, you need to have your story. And so 80-20, you've got to get there. I've got your reference for you, Lorraine. I looked it up. It's Seth Godin. It's his permission ah. marketing. Grew out social media and permission marketing. I'm looking at a website called Houselens, H-O-U-S-E-L-E-N-S dot com. This is an article from, it looks like 2015, November 18th, Social Media Rule. They have a great big blue button like the Staples Easy button. It says 80% information and informative, entertaining, and useful. And then a little small button in orange that says 20% sell. And the caption is social strategy. The 80-20 rule is the cardinal rule of social media marketing. It states that 80% of your social media posts should inform, educate, and entertain your audience, while 20%, only 20%, should directly promote your business. This rule came out of a concept called permission marketing, outlined by Seth Godin, or Godin, however you pronounce it, almost 10 years ago. And he said, permission marketing is the privilege, not the right, of delivering anticipated 
personal and relevant messages to people who actually want to get them. It recognizes the new power of the best consumers to ignore marketing. I'm just going to stop there. This brings, Thank you, Lorraine, for that, and uh, thanks for letting me pull that reference in. And, Sella, we are coming back to you because we are now officially in the crystal ball predictions round. <laughs> so I, I can give you a I, – I told you it goes fast. I can give you a full 60 seconds. Use them well. Sella Missourian at Brown Bag Marketing, tell us, what do you predict at what point in the future would this topic change significantly that we want to come back and talk about it again? So, Sela, prediction, 60 seconds, go. So, I think that, you know, a decent balance of social media conversations today are happening in mobile-only private groups and messaging chat areas. And I think this is a disruption for, for businesses. So, if you think about WhatsApp, Fiber, Snapchat, etc., um, you know, how do brands get in there and have the conversation? You just mentioned permission marketing. It's a privilege, not a right. So you can't just buy this list, right? So I think businesses need to realize that, you know, the most valuable, maybe the best content can only be seen by those who are going to give permission to see it. And that might be smaller, more niche groups of people. So I think huge implications of this on social sellers. I think they need to track where their prospects are talking online. They need to go more niche, more deeper. They need to extend across the enterprise and have more people involved in social selling. And then I think they need to think about the fact that these conversations are mobile first, and that implies an even more 24-7 nature to the conversation. It's not a 9-to-5 job. Oh, that was so important. You saved that best part for last. It's not a 9-to-5 job. It is not. Lorraine, that's a whole other topic, a whole other episode. Think about it. How do you do it, and how do you still sleep and eat and think and drink and, and go take a vacation somewhere? I don't know, but there must be a secret in there. Thank you, Sela. And let's turn to Marco Arguez. Marco, it's getting late for you. We want to let you go and have that water because I know you're not feeling well. What's your prediction, Marco, and how far in the future? Go ahead. Sure. Uh, well, I, I believe that because of the digital environment, everything is going very fast. And we have forgotten at some point that in the other side of the keyboard, there is a human being, right? But it, it will come back to the, to the right thing. I mean, I, I am sure that in the future, in the near future, we will realize that in the other, at the end, even if it's very easy just to click in the mobile phone or even if it's very easy just to send a ton of email to, to different people, we will realize that if we want to make a new friend, <laughs> we have to do it mm-hmm. in, the, in the old world, in the old way, right? In the old-fashioned way. So we have to, to deliver relevant information to that person. We have to deliver something honest, straightforward, and something that really delivers value to that person. And, and that person is going to deliver value back to us if we follow that way. So the prediction is that uh, in, in some point we will realize that uh, although we're using social media networks and that everything is going very fast, we have to follow the main rules of cordiality that we used to follow in the past, and then people is going to adopt more easily social selling as a way to do business more naturally, avoiding the fact that they don't see the other person in front of them when they are trying to deliver any conversation, right? Very good point, and I like the introduction of that word cordiality. Thank you very much, Marco, and I hope you feel better. Lorraine, Maurice, you're up. I can give you, they were so concise, Lorraine, I can give you 90 seconds for your predictions. What do you think of that? Wow, that, that's, that's impressive. Um, here, <laughs> here, here's, here's what I think. I, I think that technology and the digital transformation is going to continue to evolve and be the future of social marketing. And so as the sales departments become more digitally oriented and the sales reps use all of this content conversation and storytelling that it's imperative that businesses um, 
prepare their content and their value statements as they move forward. And it's an evolution. If you look back to the, you know, the, the horse-driven mail drop and then, you know, the telephone and then the computer. I mean, where's the fax machine today? When's the last time you used the fax machine? We're not going backwards. We're going forward with this technology. Now, my colleague Marco made a great point, and the point is, is that uh, there are human beings on the end, and so there needs to be a balance in, in how you message, how you work, and there'll always be a human touch, but the message that you have online is going to become more concise and shorter, and so you have to prepare for it, and you have to prepare for it now. And just a, a, a quick example, and for those of you that don't use Snapchat, I'm sure your children do, I mean, it's replacing text almost for the millennial. So instead of us writing a text, hey, get a coffee, they're holding up a coffee cup, and, you know, at, and, at the Starbucks or wherever, um, and you know to meet them there. So uh, it's mm. all about making sure your message is, is, is relevant, it's in the format your customers are looking for, and that you're ready for this digital age. It's not going backwards, it's going going forward. Definitely is. Thank you, Lorraine. Thanks for putting together such a wonderful, I'm going to say a stellar panel, but I don't want Sela to think I'm mispronouncing her name. Sela <laughs> Masirian. I wanted to say that the whole show, Sela, was just waiting to come out. Sela Masirian, such, I thank you so much. Such a pleasure to meet you and, and wonderful, great information. Love your energy and thanks for being part of our panel. Marco Arge, it's great to hear your voice again. I hope you feel better soon. Go drink water and rest. Doctor says bed rest. Dr. Bonnie, you're done for the day. Don't talk to anybody else after this. Lorraine Maurice, kudos. And Lorraine, are you really thinking of starting another, a second series with me next year in addition to Think Big, Work Small? Yes. I am. I haven't come up with a a name yet, but it is on the agenda and in the budget process. I'd love to do that. Love your panel. Shows are great. I want to say thank you to our panel. Thank you to Michael and the Business Channel team. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action, and you got to do this. Uh, Marco's not going anywhere. The rest of you, fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, right now. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Think Big, Work Small with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Thursdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.